Kalimhotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So you can follow us there as well. Also on that, 10 a.m. Superstation, WFDF's uh, uh, YouTube channel, I mean, Facebook uh, page also. All right, welcome to the African History Network show. It's um, Wednesday, August 4th, 2021, and we are live. Thanks to everybody for the uh, anniversary wishes. Um, this is my 31st anniversary being a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. I crossed uh, August 4th, 1990 at uh, Wayne State University. So it's been 31 years. So I got a lot of uh, got a lot of people uh, wishing me a happy anniversary on uh, Facebook today. All right. So on today's show, we're going to give an update on what's going on with the um, with the new eviction eviction moratorium issued by the CDC. Now, this is going until October 3rd. And this is a little different than the previous eviction moratorium. But this came about because of pressure from people like Representative Cory Bush, Representative Maxine Waters, Representative Ayanna Presley, uh, pressure from African-American women especially. Uh, and they put pressure on the Biden administration they called out uh, Congress for uh, going on recess. The House representatives were going on recess and uh, not having uh, passed an extension on the moratorium uh, on evictions, which was, um, I mean, that, that was just wrong for them to go on recess like this. So we'll give an update on what's going on with that. And this is going to... Um, cover about 80 percent uh of the counties 80 percent of u.s counties or 90 percent of the u.s population this new um eviction moratorium then we'll also uh give an update on simone biles now simone biles was interviewed on the today show today and says she's keeping the door open for olympic return for olympic return um uh, the, the next Olympics. She's keeping the door open for an Olympic return. And then, as we talked about yesterday, but we're getting a few more details on this, uh, her aunt passed away uh, during the Olympics. And Sports Illustrated has an article uh, dealing with this, okay, dealing with her aunt passing away. And uh, that caused uh, a major problem for her also. All right. So we'll talk about that. Now, th there was a story uh, I talked about briefly on yesterday's show. And this deals with uh, Rhode Island, Rhode Island. And uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, they're going to add uh, African-American history to their curriculum, to their school curriculum. Uh, this is a bill signed in the law uh, Friday, July 30th. 2021 by Governor Dan McKee, and they're going to add a crucial piece of Rhode Island history, Rhode Island's history to the public school curriculum, the teaching of African-American heritage and history. Keith Stokes is the vice president of the Black Heritage Society and one of the leading lights behind this effort, and he said it took 400 years to get here. Now, the new curriculum 
will cover the African diaspora to, to uh, Rhode Island, which began with the first slave ship coming to Rhode Island in 1696 and later drew uh, Africans from the Caribbean as well as Central and South America. Okay, so we're going to talk about this because with the attack on critical race theory and with um, the uh, attack on the teaching of systemic racism and the teaching of the history of slavery that we see uh, in, in, in different states that have uh, Republican state legislatures and, and Republican, Republican governors, things like this, more people are talking about having African-American history taught in schools as part of the curriculum, whether it's a separate class that's mandatory or whether it's incorporated into the actual curriculum. So there's more talk about that. So we're going to talk about the story out of um, Providence, Rhode Island. Okay, out of, out of Rhode Island. Uh, very, very interesting there. And then I'm going to uh, play another segment of the interview that I did with uh, Renoko Rashidi. And this interview, we shared the first part of it yesterday. This interview is from um, April 17th, 2014. I did this interview April 17th. 2014 with Renoko Rashidi and we talked about um, uh, the, the Black Madonna and Child in Europe uh, the Black Madonna's the Black Madonna and Child statues uh, in Europe uh, we, we dealt some with the African presence in Europe um, and we talked about the Holocaust of African people in Tasmania so we had a, a, a good discussion. So I'm going to play another excerpt of that interview. And that I did that interview before I was even on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation WFDF. Okay, so we'll, we'll share another excerpt of um, that interview with Renoko Rashidi. And for those that don't know, um, historian and anthropologist uh, Renoko Rashidi uh, passed away in Egypt August 2nd. 2021 okay august 2nd 2021 uh renoko passed away so we talked about this a lot on yesterday's show that's one of the reasons why yesterday shows two hours uh and, and I'll, I'll share another excerpt of uh i interviewed renoko a few times see i, I was going back through my archives of interviews because i have over a thousand uh episodes of the african history network show going back to 2010 and he was one of the first interviews i did in 2010, when I started the African History Network show, and that was on uh, on Blog Talk Radio, um, so he was one of my first interviews. So, so I, I went back and I was going through looking at different hard drives and, and uh, found the old interview uh, that I did with Renoko. Okay, so uh, we'll share another excerpt of that interview from 2014. Okay, now on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. 
Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can still uh, register for the uh, 10-week online course that I teach, the new 10-week online course that I teach, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, uh, 1865 to 1968. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And this is a 10-week online course I teach. We uh, Each class will go through and analyze an approximately 10-year period of history to, to look and see what happened to us after slavery ended. Okay, and we'll go through Reconstruction. We'll go through the Jim Crow era, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, U.S. Supreme Court case. We'll go through into the beginning of the 20th century and uh, the World War One, 1914 to 1918, Great Migration, 1915 to 1970, six million African Americans migrating out of the South, up North and out West. It's totally going to change the country. World War Two, um, Civil Rights Movement. Black Power Movement, each class will go through and analyze an approximately 10-year period of history to understand what happened to us, what policies were put into place to put us in the predicament we are now so we know what, where do we go from here, okay? A people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet the needs of the community. Okay, so click on uh, register here. It takes you to the next page and click on enroll. Uh, as soon as you uh, enroll, you can start watching the uh, course content. We do the classes live on Saturdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the sessions are recorded. Click right here on enroll. All the sessions are recorded, so you can go back and watch it over and over again uh, as well. As soon as you register, you can watch the class we did this past Saturday. Class is regularly $130. is on sale $80. And you still have access to the course content even after the course is over with, Okay. All right, we're going to jump into this first story. Uh, when we come back from the break, we'll go to uh, clip number one, uh, Shakita from CBS, uh, CBS News. So when we look at this um, uh, extension of the, the uh, moratorium on evictions, you know, this is, this is very interesting. And this is what activism and pressure can do. And uh, Representative Cori Bush is a different type of politician because she she's an activist. Okay, she's an activist. So the Center for Disease Control and Prevention on uh, Tuesday, uh, April 3rd, I mean, Tuesday, August 3rd, Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, uh, issued a new temporary moratorium uh, on evictions, the agency announced on Tuesday. Now the new moratorium uh, which uh, CBS News confirmed uh, uh, would be CBS News confirmed will will be separate from the CDC's prior eviction moratorium that expired over the weekend. Okay, and we know there was a lot of uh, angst and there was a lot of criticism uh, 
for everybody, for Republicans, for not uh, doing anything to try to extend the moratorium, uh, for the Biden administration for waiting to the last minute to let Congress know that they, that they, that they were not going to extend the moratorium, uh, the Biden administration. And then uh, as well as for Democrats for going on recess, many of them, there were 10 Democrats who did not, um, who, who were not going to vote for the extension. So they didn't have enough votes, uh, even though Democrats control the House of Representatives, they did not have enough votes with 10 Democrats holding out to extend the moratorium. All right. And I, I think I think those 10 that voted against it, uh, I think they may uh, get voted out of office come uh, 2022 midterm elections. We're going to deal with all this on the other side of the break and break this down for you. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our story, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Wednesday, uh, August 3rd, 2021. And we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number uh, if you have a question or comment. All right. So right before the break, uh, we were talking about the – I was giving an update on the um, eviction moratorium that was just announced on Tuesday, August 3rd from uh, the CDC center for disease control and prevention. All right. So this is temporary and it go, it's uh, good until October 3rd. It's good until October 3rd. And if we look at this article here from uh, CBS news, CDC issues, new eviction moratorium, uh, cbsnews.com from uh, August 3rd, 2021. Uh, the new order, expires October 3rd and it covers counties experiencing substantial or uh, substantial or high levels of COVID-19 spread. One source familiar with the moratorium said 
uh, that currently uh, said that currently includes uh, about 80% of U.S. counties or 90% of the U.S. population. Currently includes about 80% of U.S. counties or 90% of the U.S. population. Now, the emergence of the, uh, now, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who's director of the CDC, uh, said on Tuesday, the emergence of the Delta variant has led to a rapid acceleration of community transmission in the United States, putting more Americans at risk, especially if they are unvaccinated, especially if they are unvaccinated. Now, this moratorium is the right thing to do to keep people in their homes and and out of congregate congregate settings where COVID-19 spreads. Now, we know there were uh, reports of about 125,000 um, uh, cases of COVID-19 among people who are fully vaccinated, but that's out of 164 million Americans who are fully vaccinated. So that's 0.08%, 0.08%, okay? So th those are called breakthrough, uh, breakthrough cases, but those are extremely rare. You're talking about 125,000 breakthrough cases out of 164 million uh, Americans fully vaccinated. So a lot of times people will focus on that sample number, but don't tell you which population that sample represents. That's why you got to do more research. You have to read beyond just headlines. Okay, this is this is an example why. And we, we know uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican of South Carolina, uh, he was fully vaccinated. He got coronavirus. He said he has mild symptoms, but he's just stupid. He did, he he doesn't wear a mask most of the time. He's around a lot of Republicans. I, now I wonder how many Republicans caught it, either from him or whoever he got it from. They spread it to other ones. We'll see. You know. Now some people say this is karma, but you know, we're not going to go there with that. We'll see. Uh, quote: This moratorium is the right thing to do to keep people in their homes and out of congregate settings where COVID-19 spreads. Now, keep in mind, no Republicans uh, work to help to extend the moratorium. No Republicans were voting for this in the House of Representatives. Okay. No, uh, when they went on recess last Friday, no Republicans were voting uh, uh, for the moratorium. Also, now this $46 billion dollars and one of the things that the uh, Biden administration has been saying is that we have to free up and streamline getting the money already allocated, the $46 billion already allocated in rental assistance. Get that to the renters, get that to landlords. And there's money for people who are landlords and own properties who are having problems paying the bank uh, um, for the loans and things like this because they're not getting the money in. Now, it's important for people to understand the reason why that $46 billion has been allocated to states and in some states it's tied up. Um, it's not getting to the people uh, directly like it should be. Uh, we're going to go to clip one from Andrea Mitchell reports, uh, Representative Cory Bush, in just a second, uh, Shakita. So get that queued up, please. Thank you. The only reason why you had that $46 billion 
is because it was part of the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. No Republicans in the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate voted for the American Rescue Plan, even though it's helping Republicans that voted to put them in office. No Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for the bill. It's important for people to understand this. I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I sure as hell ain't stupid. Okay, I study this on a daily basis. I can look and see who is consistently voting for bills and policies that are largely beneficial for us. And I can look and see who's not voting for those and who are in opposition to them. So this, this is not about Democrat or Republican. This is about policy. Policies that are beneficial, especially to African-Americans, but for Americans in general. Okay, let's go back to uh, let's go back to this article here. So the latest moratorium order could face legal challenges after the Supreme Court determined the Biden administration could not extend the previous moratorium eviction through executive action, through executive action or executive order. Um, in, in, in the court, the, the, the Supreme Court hinted that it had to go through Congress. As the latest eviction moratorium was about to end last week, the White House told Congress to act while Congress called on the White House to act. Uh, so the Biden administration is calling on Congress to act. Congress is calling on the White House to act. Now, I think uh, Biden should have said or should have said something earlier. I know you I know you're dealing with a, a whole bunch of different moving balls than like the infrastructure bill. But Biden should have said something earlier. Okay, to Congress to pass this legislation. Now, and, and, and also it's important to understand, African-American women have been at the forefront of, of trying to extend this moratorium, okay, and fighting on behalf of everyday Americans, regardless of race. But African-American women are the ones who feel the brunt of evictions. They're three times as likely to be evicted. And there's this piece that we're going to go to in just a, just a minute here from the griot.com. And um, this piece is uh, by Dr. Uh, Dr. Nadia E. Brown, uh, African-American uh, PhD, African-American female PhD. This piece from uh, the griot focuses in on Representative Cori Bush, Representative Maxine Waters, and Representative Ayanna Presley. Okay, because the bill that they were trying to get through uh, in the in the in the House of Representatives, that bill was sponsored by Representative Maxine Waters. But this article here from August 3rd, 2021, Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, black congresswomen are leading the fight against eviction. That's not coincidental. Black congresswomen are leading the fight against eviction. That's not coincidental. Now, uh, Representative Maxine Waters was interviewed uh, Tuesday on Roland Martin Unfiltered by Roland Martin. And one of the things she talked about was black women's equal pay day, but she also talked about the uh, eviction moratorium as well. Okay, so we'll go to this in, in just a second here. Let's go back to the piece from, um, uh, let's go back to the piece from, um, uh, what you call it? from uh, CBS. All right, so as the latest eviction moratorium was about to end last week, the White House told Congress to act 
while Congress called on the White House, Congress called on the White House to act. The White House said it lacked the authority to extend the moratorium. Now, in June of 2021, the U.S. Supreme Court decision in the 5-4 uh, decision, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court decided in a 5-4 de decision to allow the eviction ban to continue through the end of July 2021. One of the justices voting in the majority, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who likes a good beer, uh, I, I understand, uh, made clear that he would block any additional extensions unless unless there was, quote, clear and specific congressional authorization, end quote, which, mean, which meant Congress, which is a co-equal branch of government, had to pass the eviction moratorium. Now, President Biden told reporters on Tuesday afternoon he isn't sure whether the new eviction moratorium will pass uh, constitutional muster, but any litigation would, quote, probably give some additional time, end quote, for rental assistance funds to flow. Uh, I want to go to this clip here from uh, this is from Tuesday, August 3rd. This is from Andrea Mitchell reports. Now, this was before the. Uh, extension was announced from the CDC. This is Representative Cori Bush. Uh, she urges the White House to buy Congress time on an eviction moratorium. And Representative Cori Bush from uh, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, she it she was uh, homeless at one point. She was unhoused. She was she was homeless, and she understands what it's like to be homeless with children. And she's an advocate for those who are unhoused. Let's go to this clip, Shakita. Now by that member of Congress, Cori Bush, a Democrat from Missouri, who, uh, Congresswoman, thank you for joining us. You were camped out for a couple of nights on the Capitol steps. You've been leading the protest. You have a personal story, uh, your own experience in the past with homelessness. So tell us why you're trying to dramatize this. I think I, think I know uh, with your background, uh, just how important this is to you. Yeah, so we've been out here since Friday, Friday night, the, the hour before um, I decided, and I spoke with Representative Alexandra Alexander Cortez and just said, hey, what about let's just stay out here, let's just, you know, put up some chairs and just stay. And she said, like, okay, I'm down. Um, the moment, the, the hour before that, I had no idea that that's what, what we would be doing. Um, but the idea that we could go on recess and we could go on vacation as a house as the House of Representatives while um, millions of people, upwards of 11 million people, could um, end up being forced out of their homes. There was no way. I, there was absolutely, my brain couldn't comprehend that. So um, uh, being out here, being uncomfortable, being cold, it's, it was, it's been raining. We've been out here for, today is day five, so I've slept out here um, for four nights, uh, for three nights. The fourth night, uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez stayed in my stead. Uh, we, we switched off, but, um, but 
the, the rain falling on us. The, um, uh, the, this is the thing. When you're when you're already cold and then it rains on you and the rain soaks your blankets and soaks your sleeping bags and then the ground is wet, what do you do? You're wet and now you're cold and you, there's no place to go to get warm. You know, um, that it's just so many things. Um, that's why I have to speak up and speak out because this is a temporary, uh, this is us being um, uh, inconvenienced temporarily, but we're talking about people who will have to live this way if we don't do better. And we haven't fixed the housing crisis as of yet. We, we complain about it. We say we need to fix it, but we haven't, we haven't met that need. How do we put more people out on the street? It's, 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 um, I understand what it's like to get that notice. I understand what it's like to sleep on the street. And I would not allow anyone else to do it. Not while I'm sitting here in the U.S. House of Representatives that I keep my mouth shut. No way. Well, let me ask you this, Congresswoman. There is tension, and it's not just from the Progressive Caucus uh, of the Democrats. There is real tension now clearly between Nancy Pelosi's office and other Democrats, the White House, because the White House only first notified the House that this exploration could not be stopped by executive action. On Thursday, the day before the House was leaving, the Senate's still in session. I haven't heard anything yet from the Senate Democrats. Read the Senate as to them taking it up. And Nancy Pelosi's position is that they're not going to take this up unless she knows that the Senate is going to try to do something, which they clearly don't have the votes for. So, you know, how does anyone defend the system where this, this finger pointing going back and forth? Where was the White House, for instance, for weeks and weeks? They knew when this was supposed to expire. <laughs> Yes, so that's why today um, we have um, both um, the Speaker's office, my office, and then I know over the last few days there have been um, other um, others from uh, within Congress saying that we are asking the White House to go ahead and move forward, move forward with um, with an eviction moratorium because. This need is urgent. This is an emergency right now in our country, and we can't wait any longer. And the time that it will take to get uh, to get the House back and to you know to vote, plus getting it through the Senate, that's going to take a while. Buy us some time to get that done. We know we have to get it done, but buy us some time. So we're asking the White House to go ahead and go ahead and do this. If there's a court challenge, possibly, let's work on that. When, when and if that happens, but right now the people don't care about if something could possibly happen, and also if something does, we have to look at the weight of it. Is it worth for the White House to get a court challenge, or is it worth for millions of people to hit the streets and then and have no home? I'm going to say it's the latter. I, there is no way that we could think about what's going to happen in court. You know, a court challenge. You know, if we have to take an L, take an L. But at least we did the work to make sure that we kept the people that, that we're supposed to represent, the people that are looking to us. They don't care about the blame game. They don't care who did what, when, and how. They care about right now. Today there is a notice on my door saying pay or vacate, and I don't have the money. I don't know what to do. My state, my, lo my, my local government, I'm fighting to get those resources that I was told are available through the ERA. I, I, I'm having trouble. What do I do? Because my landlord does not care. That is what we have to deal with and deal with it today because it's happening already. And just to point out, if the White House has said they, if their hands are tied because of a Supreme Court ruling and you're saying, I'll just do something by executive action and then deal with the court 
deal later on. We've got to go with Congresswoman Chloe Bush. Thank you so much for lighting a fire under this. Millions and millions of people are, you know, are exposed. All right. So that's from uh, Andrea Mitchell reports from Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. That's from around noon. So that's before the CDC announced the new moratorium, uh, a new um, moratorium on evictions. Um, And this was this activism was largely spearheaded by Representative Cori Bush. This is an example of what happens when you have real activists who become politicians. They and, and she said today. It was either today, it was either today or yesterday after it was announced. She said that this is like a new era because now you have an activist in the House of Representatives and she's going to bring those activism skills to uh, legislation, to Congress. All right. uh, I want to go to. Uh, We're going to go to clip two here next, uh, Shakita from uh, CBS Evening News in just a second. Um, If we look at this article here from uh, NBC News, CDC announces targeted eviction moratorium after days of pressure. CDC announces targeted eviction moratorium after days of pressure. House Democrats unable to pass a new moratorium had pressed the White House to act. Now, if we look at paragraph two here, um, it says, uh, if counties improve their COVID-19 rates and do not experience substantial and high transmission for 14 consecutive days, tenants will no longer be protected by the CDC moratorium. Similarly, if COVID cases worsen, Uh, In a county, renters might be protected by the CDC order. Now, county transmission rates can be found on the CDC website. The new order will expire October 3rd. Okay, as of now, it covers about 80% of counties. This moratorium covers about 80% of counties or 90% of the U.S. population. The... um, Okay, this is a statement from uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, CDC director. The emergence of the Delta variant has led to a rapid acceleration of community transmission in the United States, putting more Americans at increased risk, especially if they are unvaccinated. Okay, this moratorium is the right thing to do to keep people in their homes and out of congregate settings where COVID-19 spreads. Now, um, News of the extension drew praise from progressive House Democrats who have been furious that the moratorium was allowed to expire on Saturday, led by Representative Cory Bush, a Democrat from St. Louis, Missouri, who you just heard in the segment there from uh, Andrea Mitchell reports. Several members launched a protest sleeping on the Capitol steps for four nights, Capitol Hill steps for four nights, demanding that the administration act and the House reconvene to address the issue. And this drew national media attention, and this put pressure on the Biden administration, put pressure on the White House, put pressure on the Center for Disease Control and Prevention to do something. Senator Elizabeth Warren weighed in on this. Senator Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi was working behind the scenes as well. That's one of the reports that I saw today. Nancy Pelosi was working behind the scenes, putting pressure on the Biden administration also. 
But this is what happens when you have like real activists who bring these skills to the House of Representatives. This is what we need. So now, so there was a, there was an article from the Washington Post that I saw late today, um, and it was saying now that um, progressive Democrats have gotten uh, the extension with the, the eviction moratorium. Uh, it, actually, the name of the article, with eviction victory in hand, congressional Democrats turn attention to student loans. With eviction uh, victory in hand, congressional Democrats turn attention to student loans. And if we look at this here briefly, and then we're going to go to this other piece here. But see, this is the difference between having the right people in office who are going to fight on behalf of the people who put them there on behalf of their constituents and having their own people in office. Okay. I, I want to find out those 10 Democrats that voted against this and they were, and they, and they were so ready to, to leave and go on recess. They need to be voted out of office. I don't care whether they have a D or R or I, whether Democrat, Republican or independent, that's irresponsible. You get paid $174,000 a year by taxpayers and you're so ready to go on recess. You're going to leave millions of people in jeopardy. You, you, you shouldn't have a job, especially uh, uh, being paid for by taxpayers. Uh, th this article came out today from the Washington Post. With eviction victory in hand, congressional Democrats turn attention to student loans. Temporary freeze on federal student loan payments expires at the end of September, and many Democrats want it extended. Now, this is at the same time when they're pushing to get student loan debt discharged. Okay, some people say they want the full $1.6 trillion discharged. Biden uh, ran on the platform of discharging $10,000 uh, per person in student loan debt. We know that uh, the Biden administration has discharged uh, about $3 billion so far. A lot of that has to do with people who were victims of predatory colleges and they were stuck with student loan debt. So. The Biden administration has already discharged about $3 billion in student loan debt, largely for people who were victims of predatory colleges. We know that when you study these predatory colleges, like these four, a lot of these for-profit colleges, and some, and you had at least two of them put out of business by the Obama administration, ITT Tech and uh, Corinthian College, I think was the other one. There was a crackdown on for-profit colleges under the Biden administration when the Trump administration came in and um, um, the idiot was uh, secretary of education, Betsy DeVos, clueless Betsy DeVos. They, Betsy DeVos loosened the restrictions on predatory colleges that were put in place by the Obama administration. Predatory colleges disproportionately target African-Americans and Latinos. Okay, when you do the research on predatory colleges, you'll see this. This is an example of how elections have consequences. And then um, it, it's understandable that she would loosen restrictions on for-profit predatory colleges because then Donald Trump run a fake university called Trump University. It got sued by the state of New York for running a fake university. Let's go to clip two here. This is uh, Biden administration announces new eviction ban. This is from CBS Evening News. Let's go to this clip, Shakita. Breaking news from the Biden administration, which is announcing a new limited ban on evictions. Now, this comes just days after the previous ban expired. 
putting millions at risk of losing their homes. CBS's Nancy Cordes is at the White House. And Nancy, boy, this comes after a lot of pressure from members of his own party, right? It sure did, Nora. The CDC has just released that new ban, and it is a big turnaround for an administration that was arguing as recently as yesterday that its hands were tied and that it couldn't legally extend the ban on evictions. Well, apparently the CDC has found a way because now we have this new ban that will last 60 days until October 3rd. It's going to cover 80 percent of counties, home to 90 percent of the U.S. population, and it's targeted, we're told, to areas that have experienced high levels of COVID infection. But the high court ruled against the last ban. So recently I asked President Biden why this one will be any different. Are you sure it's going to pass Supreme Court muster? There are several key scholars who think that it may, and it's worth the effort. His argument is that even if this move is ultimately blocked by the courts, at the very least, it will buy states Time to distribute tens of billions of dollars in federal rent forgiveness to help make renters whole and keep them from being kicked out of their homes. Nora? Nancy Cordes, thank you so much. Okay. All right. So that's from uh, CBS uh, Evening News from Tuesday, uh, August 3rd. All right. Now, see, and this is an example of why many people voted for Joe Biden. Not because he was perfect, but because he's somebody who can be pushed in the right direction to do the right thing. He's somebody who can be pressured. He can be pressured more. He can be pushed more in the right direction to do the right thing, as opposed to some other people, like uh, Benedict Donald. Okay? So... See, it's, it's not about having a perfect candidate. It's, it's understanding whose policies are most beneficial to African-Americans and Americans in general, whose policies will do the least amount of, of, of harm, whose policies will protect gains that have been made, who can be put, who can be pressured the most and pushed the most in the right direction to do the right thing to get the most accomplished. This is an example of that. All right. Uh, okay, so back to the NBC News article. News of the extension drew praise from progressive House Democrats who had been furious that the moratorium was allowed to expire on Saturday. Led by Representative Cory Bush, Democrat from Missouri, several members launched a protest sleeping on the Capitol steps for four nights, demanding that both the administration act and the house can in the house reconvene to address the issue representative alexandria ocasio cortez democrat from new york said what the what the message here today is clear that every day people can make a change and we can always demand better and we and we can push ourselves to be better and that should not be taboo in our democracy uh, she said this immediately following the announcement from Biden about the uh, CDC extension. Uh, quote, this is a huge victory for working families. This is a huge victory for the vulnerable. And it is a huge victory for the power of direct action and not taking no for an answer. 
it is a huge victory for the power of direct action and not taking no for an answer. Okay, read the rest of this article here. Uh, CDC announces targeted eviction moratorium after days of pressure. Uh, okay, th there's this other uh, clip we want to go to. We're going to go to the clip from uh, the NBC Nightly News, Shakita. Uh, clip number three, let's squeeze this in. Uh, inside the new eviction moratorium, the CDC's new eviction moratorium, which extends until October 3rd, aims to help millions of renters impacted by the COVID pandemic. Uh, let's go to this clip. appeared in court this morning to fight eviction over an alleged lease violation. My house situation is not good. Like, me and my son have been washing up with cold water for over a month now. She says her landlord shut up for utilities and wants her out. The single mother lost her job during the pandemic and is among the estimated 6.9 million households behind on rent. She hopes the CDC's new moratorium on eviction, which extends until October 3rd, helps keep her in her home. If I do get locked out, I really wouldn't have nowhere to go. She applied for rental assistance, but so far has not received any, and she's far from alone. According to an NBC News investigation, of the billions of dollars provided by Congress for emergency rental assistance, as of mid-July, 26 states had distributed less than 10% of the money allocated to them. That was Landlords like Stacey Johnson-Cosby in Kansas City need the money, too. Are you not getting that money? Well, it's coming slowly. So there are some people, if you can find where to apply, how to apply, because the process is really cumbersome. And then once it is applied, it's a four to six week turnaround time to even find out if a caseworker has been assigned. The CDC's moratorium is designed in part to allow for more time for that distribution. And the Biden administration is pushing for states to simplify their application process. This latest move by the CDC is likely going to face legal challenges right away. In June, the Supreme Court indicated without an act of Congress, it was unlikely to uphold an eviction moratorium. Okay, so that was from uh, NBC Nightly News. That was Stephanie Rule that you heard there during the reporting. Uh, according to an NBC News investigation, as of mid-July, uh, mid-July 2021, 26 states had distributed less than 10% of the $46 billion provided by Congress for emergency rental assistance. Okay, less than 10% of the $46 billion um, has been uh, distributed that was provided by Congress. That was part of that $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. So one of the things Biden is saying and others is like, look, they got to get that. A lot of that money is stuck at the state level. And hasn't gotten down to the renters and to the landlords. So they're saying, look, you got to distribute that money that that has already been allocated. Okay, uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, uh, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. Uh, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. Remember, uh, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right. Stand by, everybody. Stand by. We're going to squeeze in. Uh, uh, we'll squeeze in this topic here dealing with. Um,
Simone Biles will squeeze this in and I'll play a little bit more of the interview I did with Renoka Rashidi. We'll play a few more minutes of that. We'll deal with more of this tomorrow. Because, uh, uh, okay, I dealt with the first topic longer than I expected, but it's an important topic. All right. So Simone Biles uh, was interviewed on the Today Show today. And... She says she's not ruling out after winning bronze medal on the beam, on the balance beam on Tuesday. She says she's not ruling out. Um, she, she's keeping the door open for future Olympics. She's keeping the door open for future Olympics. Let me pull up this clip here. Okay. While we get that queued up, um, everybody be sure to register for the new 10 week online course. Uh, that I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, uh, 1865 to 1968. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So this is a 10-week uh, online course. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. So you can go back and watch them over and over again. And each uh, session, we go through and analyze an approximately 10-year period of history, an approximately 10-year period of history to understand what happened uh, after slavery ended, okay? And a people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the present and the future to, to meet the needs of the community, but to understand what happened to us after slavery ended. To, to understand the laws and policies put in place. Um, and we deal with uh, Reconstruction Era. Uh, after the Civil War ended 1865 to 1877, we deal with the Jim Crow Era. Uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case, 1896. Williams versus Mississippi, U.S. Supreme Court case, 1898. Uh, we deal with uh, the Jim, Jim Crow laws being put in place, the black codes, uh, the attack on voting rights, uh, theft of uh, land, grandfather clause of 1898. Uh, and then we do with the uh, World War I, 1914 and 1918. The Red Summer of 1919 was the year after World War I ended. We go through our history, World War II, uh, the Civil Rights Movement and the Black Power Movement. Okay, so you can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Also, we just posted a link here so you can register. Uh, click on register here, right on the homepage of our website. Click on register here. It takes you to the next page. And then just click on enroll. As soon as you enroll, you can start watching uh, uh, archive content we have. You can watch last Saturday's class, and then you'll be ready for class uh, this Saturday. There's also some additional bonus content. You'll get um, the first three classes of another 10-week uh, online course I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, 
understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach in the school. This one I teach on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And in both of these classes, we do a PowerPoint presentation, have video clips, book references, articles. Uh, so it's a ton of information. OK. All right. So you can register for those. OK, uh, let's continue here. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustle Her Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. All right, who we have? We have April, uh, have Ruby, just a few of the people watching. All right, I want to go to this uh, next story here dealing with uh, Simone Biles. So she was interviewed on the Today Show uh, today. And she says she's keeping the door open for uh, Olympic return. And let's pull this up here. All right, she says she's keeping the door open for uh, an Olympic return. She hinted that this might not be the last time fans see her at the Olympics. Now, Simone Biles, uh, who was leaving uh, the Tokyo Olympics with the bronze medal and international support after publicly dealing with a case of the twisties, uh, that led to her withdrawal from multiple events, said she is open to returning to the Olympics in 2024. Uh, before leaving Japan, she sat down with the Today Show uh, with uh, Hoda 
uh, who cheered on Team USA during their competitions to talk candidly about her time in Tokyo and her future plans. Now, Simone Biles, 24 years old, hinted that this might not be the last time fans see her at the Olympic Games, saying she's keeping the door open for a potential return. She said, quote, I think I have to relish uh, and take this Olympics in and kind of recognize what I've done with my career because after 2016, I did not do, I did not get to do that. After 2016, I did not get to do that. Uh, life just happened so quickly. And now I have a greater appreciation for life after everything that has happened in the last five years. Now, Simone Biles also, also said she was glad to be able to compete on Tuesday. She said it was crazy. I'm happy I was able to uh, get back out there and do one more routine, especially since I had the girls there rooting me on as well as the guys. It's just really, it, it just really felt amazing. Okay. Uh, it just really felt amazing. So I want to go to the, uh, I want to go to the interview that she did on the today show. Uh, let's see, we had that queued up. Let's go to this clip. I don't know how to articulate how proud I am of you, but mobiles. I don't know how to articulate how proud I am of you, but I'm overflowing with pride. How do you feel? It's, it's so crazy. I'm happy I was able to get back out there and do one more routine. It just felt really amazing. What are you feeling in this moment? Like, forget what you're thinking. Yeah. Like, take your brain out of it. I'm proud of myself for the way I pushed through and even learned that dismount that I haven't done in years and just put up a good set. That's all I really wanted. I wasn't expecting to walk away with a medal or anything. I just wanted to go out there, do it for myself, and I did. Did you think about not doing it? In the beginning, whenever I kept over-rotating the dismount, I was like, yes. But then I was like, I think I can do it, and I feel good. Like, I know I have a good beam set, um, and I felt fairly confident. Can you explain what the pressure feels like on you? It feels heavy. It's like the weight of the world on your shoulders, and I'm very small, so I feel like at times it's very overwhelming. But whenever you get so overwhelmed and have triggers, it's just like I have to focus on my mental well-being, and that's what I did. You sure did. That was brave. Thank you. It was hard working five years for a dream and just having to give it up. It was not easy at all. Wow. And that was not... What was planned? In the vault, you paused, you waited. Tell me about that decision, because that had to be made in that tiny moment. Yeah. It was quick, but I also had to make that decision for the team because they worked so hard, and I couldn't lose a medal for those girls. Um, so I decided to pull myself out. So if anything, I think um, by having me not in the competition, they won the medal. I also don't think people realize doing that vault, since I still landed on my feet, I don't think they realized I didn't do the correct vault I was supposed yeah. to. When I had no idea where I was in the air. You could literally see it in my eyes in the pictures. Like, I was petrified. What were you afraid of? I had no idea what I was about to land on. My head, my face, my legs, my arm. I had no idea where I was. And that could have been a career-ending yes. moment for you. And so I was really afraid I was going to hurt myself. When you said that you were afraid of letting people down, that's a lot to carry, too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, for one person, especially just like my family back home, they sacrifice so much. You work five years for something and you have a whole team surrounding you and you do it all together. And it's just like, I get here and 
didn't work how I wanted it to. But it ended. The it ended on a high. So very grateful and thankful for that. But I still feel like we go back home and there's still a lot of things I need to work on internally and mentally to just kind of feel like I had success here. You know what I thought? Even after the vault, when you decided you didn't want to compete, I thought if this is the last time I see Simone compete, it's a good day. Yeah. Because you did something super brave. And I, I thought that was brave of me, too, because if you would have asked me a couple years ago, I would have kept pushing through. But I'm at the age now where I kind of control my mental and my well-being, and I knew that it was the best decision for the team um, and myself. What was the lowest valley for you while you were here? What was the moment where you... Your, your lowest um, Probably realizing or recognizing that I would only be remembered for my medals and everything until one morning I woke up and I was like, I'm more than my medals in gymnastics. I'm a human being and I've done some courageous things outside of the sport as well. And I'm not a quitter. And it took all of that realizing to see that because I don't think if this situation didn't happen, I would have never seen it that way. You know what struck me when I interviewed you before the Olympics? You talked about there were a lot of reasons you wanted to compete again. Right. And one of them was because you didn't want people to forget what happened with Larry Nasser. Yes. You're still here. You yeah. said, I'm still here. <laughs> Did that weigh on you at all? A little bit, but I knew that still being the face of kind of like gymnastics and the USA and everything we've brought, it's not going to be buried under the rug and it will still be a very big conversation. So we still have to protect those athletes and figure out why it happened, who knew what when and just... Do you think that affected you at all this time around? Now that I think of it, like maybe in the back of my head, probably yes, because there are certain triggers that you don't even know. Yeah. And I think it could have. Yet there you were in the stands, man. Yeah. Because I thought, I wonder... Simone's going to kind of take her sweats and go hang out in the corner. No, you did not. No, I had to cheer my girls. They worked too hard, and I was going to be there to support them no matter what. You must have been super proud of them. I was, dude, I was <laughs> beaming with joy. I have never been so proud of these girls. They, they've been so strong coming off a year that everybody had to be quarantined and then getting back in the gym. Those are some strong and courageous girls. <laughs> Was that being routine the last time we're going to see you compete at the Olympic Games? I think I have to relish and take this Olympics in and kind of recognize what I've done with my career because after 2016, I didn't get to do that. So you're keeping the door open. Yeah, keeping the door open. Look at you keeping <laughs> the door open. Here they are to accept silver medals. I knew you were strong before these Olympic Games, but I did not have any <laughs> idea how strong you were. Thank you. You made us proud. You made your country proud. We're Thank proud you. of you, honey. Thank you. Thank you, Simone. Craig, don't you love that? She's like, so you're saying there's a chance to come back in you three years. <laughs> she did. I love to hear her say that I, I'm more than my medal. That, that's my takeaway. Darn straight. Yeah, whatever it takes to make that realization, you are a whole human being. Absolutely. Um, and we're happy because Hoda's on her way back, but so is Simone and the whole team. And they're going to be right here on our plaza live tomorrow morning. Brew the coffee. The jet lag is a thing. Ask Al Roker. He knows. But they're all going to be here. Isn't that fun? You that's guys, be great. this crowd is great. Come on back tomorrow. All right. So that's a great interview with uh, Simone Biles. Uh, read the article here from uh, NBC News. Uh, which one is that one here? Okay. 
Simone Biles says she's keeping the door open uh, for Olympic return. Simone Biles says she's keeping the door open for Olympic return. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think what's going to happen is I think Bruno Mars is going to like, uh, I think they're going to play the Bruno Mars song, like the, uh, the track, the Bruno Mars song, uh, keep the door open. Uh, they'll play that, uh, in the background of this interview. I think that's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to put that on TikTok or something. Uh, okay. So read this, uh, read this article. Now there was one from, we talked about yesterday, uh, how, uh, Simone Biles revealed that her aunt passed away recently, uh, during the Olympics, her aunt passed away unexpectedly during the Olympics, her aunt on her father's side, uh, sports illustrated has an article dealing with this. Um, Simone Biles reveals, uh, aunt, uh, died unexpectedly, unexpectedly during, uh, Olympics. And let's go to this, uh, article here from, uh, sports illustrated. So there was uh, so much pressure on her. Also, um, Raven Saunders, who, who won a silver medal, um, the uh, shot put, I think it was the shot put. Uh, Raven Saunders, an African-American woman, um, and I, I saw her interviewed. I saw her compete, and I saw an uh, uh, interview with her after she won and she put up the X sign uh, for poverty when she was on the uh, Olympic stage getting the medal. Um, she, she put up the X sign for uh, uh, for poverty. Uh, her mother died while she was at the Olympics. Okay, so she's mourning the loss of her mother. Uh, I'm looking at this here. Olympian Raven Saunders' mother dies days following her civil her civil server medal win. And uh, Olympian Raven Saunders mothers dies after the shot putter wins silver medal in Tokyo. I'm looking at uh, Yahoo News for this uh, picked up by People Magazine. Uh, so she's mourning the loss of a mother. She talked about uh, uh, Raven talked about in a um, um, post post Olympic competition interview, she talked about contemplating suicide. Uh, I think it's like in the last two years and she talked about the uh, different uh, things she had to overcome. Uh, Olympian Raven Saunders uh, mother dies days after the shot putter wins silver in Tokyo. This is from Tuesday, August 3rd. 2021 is a picture of her competing in the shot put uh, Olympian Raven Saunders shared Tuesday that her mother Clarissa has died just days after uh, the athlete won silver in the woman's shot put at the Tokyo Olympics writing on Twitter Saunders shared the news and and said that she would take time away from social media as she deals with her mother's death and that's totally understandable. Uh, she said, let me see, did it have the actual tweet? Yeah, here's the actual tweet here. Uh, Raven Hulk Sanders uh, at Give Me One Shot, uh, hoping, hopping off social media for a while to take care of my mental and my family, mental health and my family. My mama was a great woman 
and will forever live through me, my number one guardian angel. I will always and forever love you. Okay, so uh, okay, so check this out here, and uh, you can read this article from this was originally from People Magazine, picked up by uh, Yahoo Entertainment. Olympian Raven Saunders' mother dies days after the shot putter wins silver in Tokyo. All right, so we have that one. We'll post this link here. Now, if we look at uh, Sports Illustrated for Simone Biles, um, Simone Biles reveals aunt died unexpectedly during Olympics. And this is from uh, August 4th, 2021. So Simone Biles revealed Tuesday uh, uh, her aunt died during the uh, during the gymnast time in Tokyo. Uh, during the Olympics, Biles announcement comes less than a week after she withdrew from the women's team final, the individual all around event vault and uneven bars and the final and the final four uh, and the final floor event. Um, the four time gold medalist said the decision to withdraw was made for her mental health, raising a topic that has received increased attention during the Tokyo games. Let's see here. Um, Okay, so not a lot of details. It was her aunt on her father's side uh, who passed away, okay? And this was while she was uh, in the Olympics. So that, that contributed also to her mental block that she was uh, dealing with. All right. So, okay, so we have that. Uh, this story dinner of Providence, Rhode Island, and the African American History Program. We'll have to we'll talk about that on Thursday's show because we're running out of time here. I'm going to go to the interview again. I did with uh, Renoko Rashidi, uh, April seventeenth, twenty fourteen. Let's get this queued up. Uh, we we talked about the Black Madonnas and Child statues in throughout Europe. Um, we talked about the um, the Holocaust of African people in Tasmania. Uh, we dealt with the African presence in in Europe also. We, we talked about a number of topics. I, I shared the uh, excerpt of this interview on yesterday's show. So we're going to We're going to pick this up here later in the interview. The interview is about 53 minutes. We have this on YouTube. Okay. So how's everybody doing? All right. Share this broadcasting and social media platforms. Follow us on our YouTube channel, uh, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P on YouTube. And uh, follow us also on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network on Facebook. If you'd like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign, The AHN Show. 
through Cash App, dollar sign, The AHN Show, through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash The AHN Show. This is our official uh, Cash App account, dollar sign, The AHN Show, S-H-O-W, and that's our actual Cash App tag. And when you go there to show my name, to say Michael and show my picture there, these other ones are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. Uh, so when you support us, it helps us keep doing the research. It helps us keep broadcasting six days a week, uh, stay on the air, keep doing the research, uh, pay some of the bills, etc. All right, let's uh, let's go to this interview here. Let me pull this up. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Renoka Rashidi passed away on uh, August 2nd. Uh, 2021, while he was in Egypt, in Kemet, uh, on tour. He was doing a tour uh, there in Kemet, and uh, he passed away of a heart attack. We talked about this a lot on yesterday's show. There was a article from uh, Focus News, uh, the Focus News that talks about uh, his passing. And I, I posted about it on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. Uh, we posted about it there as well. But uh, this is an article, Renoka Rashidi's death announced academic community mourn scholar and historian. Okay. He, he was age 67, born in 1954. Um, so this information on his, uh, actually I showed you the information. We looked at the official statement from, uh, his family. If you go to his website, drrenoko.com, they have the information there. Now, uh, Taiki Grant, I, I talked to Taiki, the director of the film Hapi. I talked to Taiki, um, I talked to him uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, okay, um, August. I talked to him August second. I talked to him August second because he's one of the people I talked to to confirm that uh, Renoko had passed away. Uh, Sunday, August eighth, there's going to be a special broadcast that uh, Taki Grant and Hapi are doing. Uh, and they're going to have Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Professor Jane Small and everybody's a tribute to Renoko. I contacted Taki because I want to be part of that as well. Uh, I was friends with Renoko and had interviewed him a number of times. Carl Nelson, who's a friend of ours as well. I've been on the Carl Nelson show twice, Carl Nelson radio show. Carl Nelson is doing a tribute to uh, Renoko Rashidi. Uh, and this is going to be on Thursday, August 5th, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. The Carl Nelson uh, radio show, well, the big show. Uh, it's Carl Nelson's radio show. So this is, if you go to drrenoko.com, uh, this is Renoko Rashidi's official website, drrenoko.com. They have the information there and they have updates, okay, on what's going on. Um, and they have... Um, the uh, statement from the family as well. So here is uh, from the family Renoko Rashidi. Um, family, it is with our most sincere and deepest regret 
that the family Dr. Renoko Rashidi announced the sad news that he transitioned into the ancestral realm on Tuesday, August 2nd, 2021. Uh, he was on tour in Kemet doing what he loved most. He will be greatly missed. Please allow his family the time and privacy needed during the difficult moment. We will be posting more information and updating this website as it becomes available. Brother Yasir Rahotep, Brother Vernon, Sister Teresa Dobson, Sister uh, Althea Cooper. Okay. So this is a big loss. Uh, Renoko was an uh, anthropologist, he was a historian. Uh, this brother was a world traveler. At the time of the interview, because I was looking at the notes here uh, on YouTube, at the time of the interview, I did uh, April 17th with him. And, and keep in mind, um, Renoko was one of my first interviews I did. I interviewed him back in 2010 when I first launched the African History Network show. So my very first interview was one of my teachers, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. But Renoko, I, I interviewed Renoko that first year. I was going through my archives uh, yesterday and today, and Renoko was one of the first interviews I did. Um, but at the time of this interview, April 17th, 2014, I'm looking at the notes here. It says that uh, he had traveled to 103 countries. His bio here on this website said 103 islands and countries, countries and islands. Uh, his bio here on this website says 124 islands and countries, but I think it's really about 125 now. I mean, about 135. I think it's really about 135 islands and countries now. Okay, so um, yeah, I think it's really about 135 islands and countries now. All right. Let me pull up, uh, see if we can pull this up. Oops, I ain't gonna do that. So you can pull this up here. All right. So let me go. I want to go back to this interview. Uh, another excerpt of this interview I did with Renoko. And he was in France. Uh, it was about four o'clock in the morning when he did this interview. Uh, he was in France. Let's go back to this clip. Tell, tell us uh, about this article, because uh, some people still aren't familiar with the, the black Madonnas uh, of Europe at all. Well, sometimes they're called black virgins, but mm -hmm. still a lot of people just don't know about them. I wanted to write something, um, you know, March is, I, can say, I don't know how it came to be, but it's been designated Women's Month, a Women's History Month. History Month. And so mm -hmm. I, February is our month, you know, officially, Black History Month. So I wanted to write something <clears throat> that would connect black history with, you know, women's history something that I hoped would be uh, considered empowering and inspirational. And it's fascinating. So what you have are images throughout Europe, throughout the world for that matter, but most of them are concentrated in Europe, several hundred of them, of statues or paintings or icons of um, the Virgin Mary and the infant Jesus, but they're painted black. And because they're right. black, it is believed um, that they're able to perform miracles. 
and you could say that they are the superstars of the cult of Mary. And I've been able to see personally about eight or nine of them. And it's one of the most remarkable phenomenon I've ever experienced. Seeing these black statues with, for the most part, European features is interesting. But seeing mm -hmm. how the local people act around them, the fervor and the degree of adoration, it's really, really, really remarkable. I don't know if there's anything like it comparable in the world. Uh, I've seen them in Russia. That was my first experience in Europe seeing them. Um, France has the most, particularly in southern France, along the routes that the Crusades were preached and the routes that people, the Crusaders marched to get to Palestine and to, you know, embark upon the voyage to Jerusalem. Italy has quite a few. Um, Spain has some really remarkable ones, including one called La Marinetta that was... Yes. Um, we use the photograph in there. So it's really a remarkable thing. Now, people can say they don't believe in that if they want to. That's fine with me. But when you go into these churches, what you find are um, the prayers of people um, written to the Madonna. And the prayers are for, um, for expressed in gratitude of miracles that are attributed to the black Madonna. People who were crippled were able to walk and they left their their crutches or their braces in the church. Uh, people who were blind and claimed that they could see. Or women who had been unable to conceive and all at once got pregnant. One of the more recent ones that I've seen is in a place called Halle in Belgium, which is right outside Brussels. And this black Madonna, one of the most interesting ones, who is actually depicted breastfeeding the infant Jesus, painted black as a lump of coal, is supposed to, her, her major miracle is that she stopped an invasion of that part of Belgium, and supposedly she thought she caught 33 cannonballs fired by the enemy, the invading army, in the lap of her skirt. Now, you could dismiss that mm -hmm. all you want to, but when you go to the church, they have the cannonballs arrayed around the statue of the Black Madonna. So it's really, really an interesting phenomenon. So all of these articles are, are written to inform, to inspire, with the belief that very few things are as important in our studies as history. As Malcolm said, of all our studies, it is history that is most qualified to reward our research. So I look forward to writing a number of these articles for the Atlanta Black Star. I've already submitted, submitted articles on um, the black kingdoms of ancient Southeast Asia. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, um, wow. Vietnam, wow. Cambodia. That ought to be a good one. Great photographs. And I wow. wrote another one on Jay Rogers and another one on Ivan Van Sertima. You know, and there are one or two others. I'd like to do something uh, on the black presence in India, stating mm -hmm. that of all the countries in the world, India has the largest black population. And I'd like to do a piece on the missing noses on the African statues, because that's another thing that I get all the time. Guaranteed, you know, a sure bet, if I post something right now, after I get off the phone with you, a statue from ancient Egypt and the nose is missing, uh -huh. somebody, within a matter of moments, is going to say, they knocked the noses off. Or if you show right. a picture of Hormak the Great Sphinx, people will say right. Napoleon did that. And then I said, right. well, how do you know that? And when you say they 
knock the noses off? Who are they? You know, when did this happen? Why did they do it? What happened to those noses? I don't know. Somebody told me. I heard it on YouTube. Somebody said, I always believed it was my teaching. And then I get back, and this irritates people. But what is the evidence? What is the proof? What is the documentation? And then they get mad at me. They want to stone the messenger. So my brother, to me, it's interesting not only what people think, but how you arrive at these conclusions. Because in many ways, even the so-called African conscious community is no different from any other people. Many people, in many cases, were like the tea, tea party or the birthers who say, I don't care what you say, I don't care what you, sh- what you tell me, Barack Obama is not a U.S. citizen. He was, and in many of us, we're like we're the same way. How do you get this information? I don't know. I just believe exactly. it. Somebody told me, and that's amazing to me. People consider themselves sophisticated and intellectually astute, but you know they just repeat the things we've always heard, even though there's no evidence to support it. I, I get the same thing, brother. I get the same thing, man. And I'm like, and see, I, I try to deal with facts and evidence as much as possible, you know. And I had this, I had this uh, uh, conversation with somebody uh, that, what, two weeks ago uh, who said that uh, Africa was named after Scipio uh, Africanus. And I yeah, broke down historically it. and linguistically how that is impossible and gave sources. And they didn't want to believe me because here's what they said. No disrespect to the elder, but they said that this is what Dr. Ben said. And I said, no disrespect to Dr. Ben, but he he did the best he could do with the limited resources he had. But where is the evidence? We can look at the language because we look at Africanus. Africanus means of Africa or belonging to Africa. I went and bought a Latin English dictionary when I was doing my research on this to find that out. And then we look at the word Africa. I, did, I had Professor James Small on a couple of weeks ago. He broke down the word Africa means um, uh, land of the Afri. And the Afri are, you know, North African people in Algeria and Tunisia, black North African people who are still there today. And then we can look at that Fubileus um, um, his, Scipio. His family's last name was not Africanus. That was, that was not his surname. He took that after he, he conquered that territory because it was already named that. But we can look at numerous sources, but people don't want to. They don't want. They just want. They don't want to do that. They just want to believe myths and fairy tales, man. So. Uh. <laughs> and I can't. I can't figure that out. You know. Now is that yes. the result of slavery? And it just made us, <laughs> as I pointed out earlier, psychologically dependent and intellectually lazy. Do we need a white person to tell us these things in order for a lot of us to believe it? The people, right. as you know, become argumentative and very, very defensive about these things. And it's mm-hmm. really, in many ways, it's an insult, you know, or yeah. the name Al-Kabulan. You know, people say that was the original name for the continent of Africa. And I've come mm-hmm. to the conclusion that's very Eurocentric thinking, the idea of continents doesn't seem mm-hmm. to come out of the African experience. What makes you think that people had a name for an entire continent or that people in ancient times even realized that they lived on a continent? You know, where do did, where did these designations come from? And so if you mm-hmm. can't even ask the right question, you will never be able to get an acceptable answer because we're whether we realize it or not, for the most part, we're looking at things from a Eurocentric perspective, and as a result of that, a lot of the things we studied simply don't make sense. 
because we're not looking at it from an African perspective. You have probably done some work, and this is something I should do more work on myself, is in the orientation of the world. That if we go, for example, to Kemet in ancient times, the reference is to Upper Kemet, Lower Kemet, Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt, but up is the south. You know, right. lower is the north. And so in a sense, and Charles Finch told me this way back in the early 1980s, the great Charles Finch, is that we're looking at the world upside down, you yes. know, without realizing it. And we get a little bit of knowledge, and we become very arrogant with it in many cases, and you don't want to hear anything else. It's as though you believe you've arrived, and therefore there's no need to go any further. And I think that we do ourselves an injustice for those of us, you know, who have suffered and 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 um, struggled and scrapped for hundreds of years, our ancestors taken out of the door of no return, etc. I think they deserve the right. truth. One of the scholars that I most admired and still do, who had a big influence on me, was Dr. Chancellor James Williams in his magnificent book, Destruction of Black Civilization, where he says, essentially, the African historian must be on a relentless search for truth and must not tremble with fear when that truth is contrary to what one would prefer to believe. And that's a difficult threshold for a lot of us to cross. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, very briefly here, um, in Now Valley Contributions to Civilization, Anthony Browder um, dispels a lot of myths, and he shows the correct orientation of uh, Africa because the, the way that it's depicted to us is actually upside down, and Africa is actually much larger in comparison to uh, Europe. Uh, in other continents than is actually depicted, okay? So, um, you know, these are things that we, you know, really have to um, understand and, and, and uncover, you know, and, and, and as you say, and I, 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 I um, uh, paraphrase you in, in my presentations, and I, I borrow this from you. I always give you credit for it. Uh, I show a picture of you, introduce a lot of people to you, and uh, I, I've made it my own, but I say what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you've been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Okay, so this, well, is, this is why I Obviously. Yes. But that's not from me. I heard I was in Ghana several mm -hmm. years ago, and there was a brilliant brother from Cleveland or in Cleveland named Kwa David Whitaker. Um, mm -hmm. Has a law degree and a, um, and a PhD. Brilliant brother. Brilliant brother. And he has a way of speaking. And he was addressing a group of people, particularly young people, and he used that expression, what you do for yourself depends on what you think of yourself, and what you think of yourself depends on what you know of yourself. And what you know of yourself depends on what you have been told. That's really my philosophy of history. But I think, if I Absolutely. recall properly, that those words actually go back to John Henry Clark. And I'm sure that mm. they were not original with Dr. Clark. That what we're doing, <clears throat> I think I can say, is it's not really new. It may take on new dimensions and new directions sometimes. But what we're doing, you mentioned Manu and Michael Imhotep and Tony Browder and, and Brother Kaba and James Small mm -hmm. and so many others, we're just continuing what our ancestors have been doing for a very, very long time, and that is trying to put Africa in a positive light and African history in a positive light and use that information as a motivating force, as a kind of a guideline for what we need to do. Because history, as you know, cannot just be 
dates and facts and figures and what happened in a certain year. It has to have Absolutely. meaning. It has to have substance. It has to be a road map. And I think, you know, it's a very positive thing that we're doing, and I would like to think the ancestors are pleased by our efforts. Absolutely. Well, I, I hope they are, brother. And I, I, know, what it's, I know what it's like to do research, man, because I, I just did a – I just did a lecture January 24th that was the culmination of about four years of research, and it was 100 slides, and it was about four-and-a-half-hour presentation. And I still didn't get all the information in. It was on the transatlantic slave trade, but they didn't teach you in school understanding that. So I, I, okay. I, okay. I, I have an inkling, uh, inkling understanding of, you know, of it, and I wanted to make sure that I represented the ancestors. I wanted to make sure I put together something that honored the ancestors. That was that was like one of my biggest concerns, you know, in putting that together. So, um, hey, I understand that. So, so that lecture right there that I did, I did it January 2014. That was uh, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. That that it was a four and a half hour lecture. And from that four and a half hour lecture in 2014, over the years, that evolved into the 10 week online course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. That, 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 that's what I was referring to. Back, back at this, back at this time, uh, okay, so this interview was April 17th, 2014. Okay. I hadn't even thought about doing the, uh, online course on that i had just finished doing <laughs> i had just finished doing the lecture okay i did the lecture like back in, in in january okay so from from that lecture it is really about it was really about seven years of research from that lecture over over time it evolved into an online course i taught the online course first time in 2017 Okay, so back at this back at this time, April seventeenth, twenty fourteen, I wasn't even thinking about doing an online course. You know, I was thinking about doing the lecture again and maybe expanding or trying to do another one and get uh, additional information in that I hadn't done before. I wasn't even thinking about doing an online course. All right, so it's interesting. I haven't listened to this interview in a long time, so <laughs> it's interesting to hear me say that back then to Renoco and, 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 and see, you know, it's evolved into a online course. And I've been teaching that course since 2017. So it was like four years. It's four years now. Okay. Let's go back. Let's go back, um, to the interview here. Uh, okay. Let me pull up this picture again. All right, let's go back to this. I'm very excited about that. This is the 130th yes. anniversary of the beginning of the infamous Berlin Conference, where the Europeans, mm -hmm. like a mafia family, like the Godfather, just said and said, we're going to divide Africa up. No point in us fighting each other. There's enough for everybody. Yes. You know, the Germans, mm -hmm. the French, the, Dutch, the Belgians, the Spanish, even the Italians. And so I like it here. And uh, I learned so much here. The museums are here. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is to promote my tours to Europe and promote my tours mm -hmm. in general. So I spend a lot of time here, and I guess I just have to get used to the time difference. I do want to encourage people, if they want information about these tours, the next one is to Morocco and Spain, 
in uh, June, and then the African presence in Mexico, the Olmec heads in July, and then in August I take a group to uh, see some of the great African collections in European museums. If Europeans do anything well, it's steal, or they would say acquire. So we're taking right. a group to Berlin, to Amsterdam, to Paris, and to Brussels. That's in August. And then to cap off the year, we take a group to um, Nigeria and Cameroon. And then we start up next year in May. We already have a trip planned for Ethiopia, including southern Ethiopia, in the Omo Valley mm. in Kenya. And so if people are interested in that. And I'll be in Detroit, I believe, on the 1st of August. Um, Minister Shabazz really? is bringing me back, so I'll get a chance to see you there. But I encourage okay, cool. people to um, email me, call me. I do check my phone messages even when I'm not in the United States, and I go to my website. If you want to email me, please go to renoco at yahoo.com or renoco at hotmail.com. Renoco at hotmail.com, renoco at yahoo.com, and renoco is R-U-N-O-K-O. Or you can go to my website, uh, which I'm using now, www.travelwithrenoco.com. Or you can even call me uh, at area code 323 nine two zero six zero five five. That's three two three nine two zero six zero five five. So don't feel bad because it's almost four thirty in the morning. <laughs> I was the one who accepted the invitation. I'm grateful to Andre Moore and uh Atlanta yes, Black Star. Yeah. You're doing a great job, brother. And you're getting a very oh, positive reputation. And you know what the ancestors oh, used to say. A good name is better than gold. And you have a very good name, and you should be proud of that. Oh. I'm proud of it. Oh, oh thanks, thank you, <laughs> thank you, brother. Well, look, brother, you you know you, you get some sleep, and uh, people check out also on Facebook. Tell people how they can follow you on Facebook because you have a Facebook group where you do the class on Friday nights, also, right? You're yeah, I do. That, right? In fact, you're in that class. I don't know if you know yes, it or not, yes. but you got a scholarship, <laughs> and I'm going to start the class again in. Um, during the summer, I don't know if it'll be June or, or what. I'm looking okay. for the best time. And there'll be an eight-week course on the African presence in Asia and the African presence in Europe, four weeks on each. And uh, mm. you did mention my book, African Star, over – I don't know if you mentioned that book, but you mentioned Black Star, the African presence in early Europe. The other right. book, the companion book, is uh, African Star over Asia, the black presence in the East. And so, again, you can go to www.travelwithrenoco.com and see how you can order that book. But, yeah, the class is um, on Friday night. I'm winding down this course. I'm big on Facebook, even though Facebook mm -hmm. it, itself seems to be going through transition. And I don't know yes. what the next big social media is going to be. But uh, you can. I have about five pages. One is the Global African mm -hmm. Presence, which is a fan page. And then it's... Uh, I have a couple pages, Renoko Rashidi, one called Travel with Renoko, another one called Around the World with Renoko. I'm really trying to push that, these global mm -hmm. travels, this global Africa. All right. So that was uh, from April 17th, 2014. Now, Renoko, that was back when Renoko was still using his Hotmail. He had his... Um, Yahoo groups and Hotmail. I don't, I don't think he still uses. I don't think he was still using the Hotmail. He switched over to Facebook, uh, and it, everything was on Facebook. But his website 
is drrenoco.com, drrenoco.com. And um, he had, you can order his books and uh, DVD lectures, all that uh, on his website. His family, uh, from my understanding, I think they're going to handle everything and um, keep everything going because his books, we, we have to, when, when I talked to Professor Kaba Kamene, couple of days ago he said we have to um keep his keep his books being uh produced okay because his books are monumental all right so um i think his family's gonna take care of all that and, and control that but um you at his website drrenoco.com if you look at uh you look at the section under store S-T-O-R-E, store. They have his books here that you can order, Africa, African Star Over Asia, The Black Presence in the East. And, and see, this is one of the books I reference in my online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade. I reference that one and this one here, uh, The African Presence in Early Europe. This is a fantastic book. Prefaced by Robin Walker. Robin Walker is a walking encyclopedia of African history. Robin Walker is in uh, Hidden Colors 4. He's in Hidden Colors 4. Robin Walker it lives in uh, England. Um, and see, Robin Walker wrote uh, the book When We Ruled. Okay. And then you see, let me has he has DVD. Okay, yeah, so this is the book. And he has a DVD uh, on this one also. Black Star, the African Presence in Early Europe. But Robin Walker, see, I use this book here in my class. So if you've taken my uh, online class, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, you know, we referenced it. We referenced this book, Black Star, the African Presence. And I interviewed, I interviewed Renoko about this book because um, that was, the, I interviewed him in uh, 2000. It was another interview I did. I was trying to find that interview that I did with him about this book and is not playing well on blog talk radio. So I have to find the original, uh, I have to find the, the file for the original interview to either, uh, I have it in audio format. I got to find that because I want to play that one. That one was a hell of an interview that we did. Uh, but so visit, uh, drrenoco.com. You can, uh, order his uh, books and DVDs here. Okay. And you see all these here, you know, he, 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 he was an institution. He's an institution. All right. Okay. Uh, so I know, uh, brother Taiki Grant is doing a tribute to Renoco on Sunday, August 8th, 5 PM Eastern standard time. It's going to be on Facebook. They may have it on YouTube. I'll get more information about that. I'm trying to be a part of that. I sent, Takia uh, uh, text message today because we we talked um, we talked on the second we talked on uh, Monday Monday was the second we talked on Monday okay all right um, so everybody you can if you like this type of information also be sure to register for my ten week online courses where I have more time to delve into this history 
And my latest class is um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we look at history, we look at the last year of the Civil War and 40 Acres in the Mule, Special Field Order Number 15, Lincoln being assassinated, Civil War ending April 9th, 1865, Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865. 13th Amendment ratified December uh, 6, 1865. So we look at approximately a, a little more than 100 years of history. What happened after slavery ended? What were the advances we were making? Acquisition of land, things like this. Also being locked out of massive land giveaways, largely locked out of massive land giveaways. Homestead Act, Southern Homestead Act, Dawes Allotment Act, 1887. And then we see the end of Reconstruction and the reversal of rights and advancements that we were making. We see uh, Jim Crow laws being put in place and voter suppression tactics being used and voter suppression being written into state constitutions, Texas state constitution of 1876 and Mississippi state constitution of 1890, Louisiana uh, state constitution of 1898, et cetera. And we go into the Jim Crow, we go into uh, World War I, 1914 and 1918, um, Great Migration, uh, Red Summer 1919, we had over 25 major race riots in this country. We look at the Harlem Renaissance of the 1910s to the 1930s, stock market crash, October 29, 1929, the impact the Great Depression had on African-Americans, uh, the New Deal programs from the Roosevelt administration. We go through and look at all this history and through the Civil Rights Movement, 1955, uh, uh, in, in 54 with Brown versus Board of Education and then the Black Power Movement, uh, 1966, okay? We go through and look at all this history up until the, the assassination of Dr. King, 1968. So this class meets on Saturdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We do it online. It's at our online school. It's not on, it's not on Facebook. It's at my online school. Um, we do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them over and over again. You can watch them around the world. So click on register here and it takes you to the next page. On the next page, just click on enroll and uh, you can uh, click on enroll. As soon as you enroll, you can start watching archive content. You can watch last Saturday's class. Then there's also bonus content that you can watch. Uh, the bonus content are the first three sessions of uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. And this is the first 10-week online course that I teach. This one here deals with thousands of years of history leading up to the transatlantic slave trade. We deal with the transatlantic slave trade. Then the new class that I teach, I, I, I did this new class because um, I wanted to be able to look at history from 1865 through about 1968 and really focus on what happened, okay? And, and, and give more time to that because that lets us understand how we got to where we are today and where we need to go from here. So this uh, so this class, uh, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, this meets Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, click on register here, you can register for that one and uh, you can watch the, you can watch last week's class and you'll be ready for this class this Sunday. All right, so the, the courses are regularly $130 on sale, uh, $80. And uh, we posted the link here, but you can also visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. 
Uh, all of my DVD lectures and digital downloads are at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay. All my lectures are here. You can listen to audio podcasts of our shows. We have over a thousand audio podcasts, but uh, we have bundle packs of my lectures. This one here, this is my latest one. I did this J June 16th, 2021. June 16th, 2021. This deals with... Uh, um, uh, this deals with uh, history, the real history of Juneteenth. Okay, and we have this DVD and digital download format. The real history of Juneteenth, uh, why it's Emancipation Day, not uh, Independence Day. And uh, we do a Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign and 40 Acres and a Mule. Uh, this one here deals with uh, the real history of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the origins of Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's in DVD and digital download format. This is a uh, 15 DVD bundle pack of, of all of my lectures, uh, 15, not all of my lectures, but um, it's 15 DVD bundle pack of my lectures. Uh, Black History Month bundle pack, but you can, it's good any time of the year. That's on sale, $100, 15 uh, DVD lectures. This is a six DVD bundle pack. It's in DVD and digital download format. Uh, this is the Black Migrations 1619 to 2019. Black Migrations 1619 to 2019 uh, bundle. It includes uh, a presentation I did in 2019 dealing with the history of Juneteenth. Uh, so you'll get the you'll get the new Juneteenth lecture. You'll get the new Juneteenth lecture. It includes a presentation I did dealing with uh, Black Migrations 1619 to 2019 in that 400 year anniversary. Uh, August 20th, 1619, August 20th, 2019. And we deal with the movie, The Birth of a Nation and uh, the Red Summer 1919, the Great Migration and the Detroit Race Ride of 1943. So I did this during Black History Month in 2019. You'll get uh, Ancient Africans in America before Native Americans, Columbus or slavery from Kemet to Wakanda. It's a fantastic presentation I did. I did that for uh, Queen Mother Oshandara. Uh, Nefertiti L, who just passed away uh, a couple of months ago here in Detroit, and it was a it was a a, a Mother's Day uh, brunch or something like that that she organized, and she had me speak there, and she told me this is the topic she wanted me to speak on, so that's what I did. Um, then you get this is a six DVD bundle pack. You get the little known history of why African-Americans switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party, the Lily White Movement in 1928, which was a Southern strategy. Uh, you get that. Uh, then you get uh, when black men dominated horse racing and how an organized effort forced them out and how we used to dominate horse racing. We used to win the Kentucky Derby. Oliver Lewis was an African-American man, 19 years old. He won the first Kentucky Derby in 1875 when it was ran. And we were winning. We were winning the the races, the Belmont Stakes, the Preakness. You know, we were winning these uh, races, and we were dominating horse racing. Then we got pushed out of horse racing uh, by white men who became jealous. Okay, um, who who became jealous of our uh, uh, how much money we were making? Okay, they became jealous of how much money we were making. And, you know, we, we were being threatened, uh, our, our, our horses being sabotaged, Ku Klux Klan, 
Ku Klux Klan threatening us, like Jimmy Wink Winkfield. I think it was Jimmy Wink Winkfield. He was getting threats by the Ku Klux Klan, all types of things like this. And we got pushed out of racing. Jimmy Wink Winkfield was the last African-American jockey to win the Kentucky Derby in 1902. Okay. He was the last African-American jockey to win the Kentucky Derby in 1902. And he won in 1901 and 1902. All right. We're going to post a link here to uh, uh, Black Migrations. That's in uh, a DVD bundle pack. And it's in... Um, I mean, it's in uh, DVD format and digital download format. Okay, so all that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, this one here deals with the ancient Kemet, the winter solstice, and the history of Christmas, all of that. So we got all this here. Okay. Uh, all right, so I have a ton of my stuff here. And then you can click on, uh, on the website, click on, where's the DVD titles? And it gives you uh, uh, other titles in all of my lectures. I think it has about 40, I think 45 of my lectures there at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Okay, hey, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, if you like these interviews I've done, I've done a ton of them. Um, I was thinking I need to share. A lot of people don't know the interviews I've done in the past and I'll be doing some interviews, uh, some more interviews very soon. I talked to Professor Cobb, Professor James Small. Um, so I'll be doing some more interviews very soon. But I'm going to share those. I'm thinking like each show or maybe every other show, we take 10, 15 minutes and share uh, excerpts of some of the interviews I've done. And, and, and a lot of the interviews, you know, are from Blog Talk Radio. So I need to take those and put them on YouTube because I have a ton of stuff. I have interviews that I was doing on blog talk before I even really started putting interviews on, on YouTube. And I interviewed Dr. Uh, uh, I interviewed Dr. Fukiao. I interviewed um, Dr. Wayne Chandler. I interviewed some of everybody. Okay. All right. So look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, 
printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701.